Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. Today, I have my friend Olga Pishnayak Lawrence on the podcast. Olga is a dear friend in real life. She's been on the podcast before. We are both very big and Shirley fans. And today we're talking about the first two books in the Anne of Green Gables series, Anne of Green Gables and Anne of Avonlea, along with Liz Rosenberg's biography of Ella Montgomery called House of Dreams. I had such a wonderful time sitting down with Olga and talking about our favorite redheaded heroine. We had the most delightful time, and I hope you will enjoy our conversation today. Olga, welcome back to the podcast. The last time you were on the podcast, we talked about how much you love the Anne of Green Gables series. We've both been reading through the biography of Ellen Montgomery, House of Dreams by Liz Rosenberg. I believe it is a children's or young adult biography. And the first couple of Anne books. But before we dig into these books, Olga, when were you first introduced to the Anne series? And what was your first impression of them? I'm so happy to be here, Beth. That is a great question. I would have to make an educated guess that my first encounter with Anne happened within the vicinity of 11 to 12 years old. I could be wrong, but that was approximately the time when I dove deeply into the classics like Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, Uncle Tom's Cabin. And when I encountered Anne, it was love at first read. (laughs) She brought beauty and joy to my life, and she was my escape into what I considered the idyllic world and a reminder of what I left behind in the Ukraine. I felt an instant connection with Anne, as I myself was a hopeless romantic when it came to life and daydreaming for hours at a time. I felt that Anne would appreciate my constant optimism and that longing for something greater that is out there and is just around the corner, that elusive tomorrow that held every opportunity and possibility in its fickle hand. As Lucy Mai Montgomery wrote herself in Anne of Avonlea, those who knew Anne best felt without realizing that they felt it, that her greatest attraction was the aura of possibility surrounding her, the power of future development that was in her. She seemed to walk in an atmosphere of things about to happen. And on a more practical level, I could connect with her being the outsider and trying to stay true to herself as she carved out a space for herself within her community. As an immigrant child, that was my personal challenge. Oh, okay. I love that answer. I love all of those things that you brought out, especially the beauty. We're going to get to this in a little bit, but that's something that I think that I subconsciously took in as a child. I watched the series, the 1980s series with Being and Follows. That was my introduction to Anne. And it was, I was much older when I first read the books because I would watch the series over and over again and mistakenly thought that they were just the same as the books. And they're very similar, but there are a lot of differences. But I think subconsciously I took in all the beauty, but it's only now that I'm seeing the importance of that in our lives. And we're going to discuss this a little bit more of just 
of this gift that God has given us through beauty. And I love how you brought out how she was an outsider and in just knowing some of your story and what a precious gift Anne is to so many girls because there are so many ways that young girls can relate to her character. We all don't have to be the same, but there are so many aspects of Anne that speak to girls at these young ages. And she is such a an endearing character and such a wonderful model for girlhood. So I love that answer. So thank you, Olga. Olga, has your view of the first two books changed over the years? And if so, how? Uh, my view of the books haven't changed in terms of they, they still bring me joy and indulge me with beauty. But I've developed a thorough appreciation for the life lessons disguised as fantastic quotes within the stories. Yep, I know, I know. Now as an adult, I can appreciate some of those quotes to a degree that I couldn't before. But now I can because I've lived out those truths. So I will give you three examples. In Anne of Green Gables, here's a quote. It's all very well to read about sorrows and imagine yourself living through them heroically. But it is not so nice when you really come to have them, is it? <laughs> that is it's so, so true. Yeah. But another one also from Anne of Green Gables. It's been my experience that you can nearly always enjoy things if you make up your mind firmly that you will. Of course, you must make it up firmly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then another one, but this is from Anne of Avonlea or Avonlea? Avonlea. Okay. Perhaps it was nothing very dreadful after all. I think the little things in life often make more trouble than the big things. You know, when little mm -hmm. things accumulate over and over and over and then you blow up, mm -hmm. you know, and that usually that's where a lot of trauma or problems happen between couples or people relationships. Mm -hmm. Okay. And perhaps I can now understand the great responsibility of being an authority leader in children's lives to a greater extent uh, when I read Anne of Avon Lee now versus when I was 11 or 12 and haven't gotten through my teens yet and never mind the later teens. As the oldest of eight children, it was constantly drilled into me to be a paradigm of virtue. So I could definitely connect with Anne's great role in bringing up Davy and Dora and setting a proper example for her students. <laughs> and Olga, think about it. She is 16 or 17 years old and she is in charge of teaching all these children. She's, as I'm reading Anne of Avonlea, I'm just shocked that she's this young girl and she is teaching all of these students and she has a huge responsibility and she's forging her way in the world at this very young age and just her level of maturity. And yet she still has moments of being very much Anne and very much a young girl. But she has this, this level of responsibility of helping Marilla after Matthew has died. And I'm talking about Anne of Avonlea and helping raise these two distant relatives of Marilla's, Davy and Dora, and then running this school and then still finding time to have a social life. And yet she has so much on her shoulders and she is able to have such grace and responsibility in that and still at this very young age and still she gets into scrapes and she does all sorts of things. But it's so interesting to see that. I think I was just shocked by it this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but see what you're doing is you're comparing her life and her era to this time, to the mm -hmm. present time. And I can't really speak for the people in USA, but when I was in Ukraine growing up as a little kid, the things we did, you wouldn't let your kids now do. I mean, we stayed home and babysat our siblings. I was five and I was home babysitting my three-year-old or two-year-old sister. 
we'd be left <laughs> with babies. Like when I was nine, my parents went to the city and then we, just, we were in this village. I had to look after the twins who were just months old and my sister who was like five or somewhere in that area. And we had a farm, we had animals. And so the parents would go for the whole day and I'm in charge of these babies. I'm in charge of my sister. I'm in charge of this farm. The only thing my mom said was, she said, Olga, you know, you know who to go to if there's trouble. Remember, you know, that lady down the street, you go to her if there's any trouble. I mean, I never went, but thankfully I had somebody to, like as a backup option, I yeah. guess. But those are the things that are not common nowadays. But somehow in Anne's time, in, in Maud's time, when she was writing this, this was more common to mature more quickly. So I find this interesting dichotomy between like, I was so mature in some areas of my life when I was a child, but yet still remained a child. I daydreamed, I made up stories. It's just so interesting. You can still be so mature in some ways and still so sheltered from life at the same time. Exactly. And also, when you were saying that, you're just thinking about the ages of children and what the expectations of children this time versus that time. It's funny. I don't know if you if this stood out to you in Anne of Avonlea when Anne is asking Marilla about Davy, who is this little troublemaker who's just this doll that you just you just love him, this darling. It's, you want to squeeze. You want to squeeze him. He's so mischievous, but you still, I'm like, I would be worn out. Yes. But still, you just cannot help but love him. She's talking to Marilla about, you just need to go ahead and send him to school. Let me help him out. He needs that interaction with other children. This might be good for him. And Marilla says, he's not yet seven years old. And we, my father always said, you do not send children before seven years old to school. They can learn their letters at home. And then, but there's, I think she said they're supposed to be free. I can't remember how, what she yes, says. Yes. They're supposed to be free. But I, just to think of that short window of time. So from maybe seven to 17, 16 or 17, they're in school. <laughs> But at the time that they're there, they're dedicated and they're learning. It's just, it's been so interesting to me just to compare that in some ways. That's one of the things we didn't even discuss this earlier, but that's one of the things that I guess we both have noticed from, from reading the book. Olga, do you have any favorite quotes or scenes from the first couple of books? We've kind of been talking about that a little bit, but I'm curious if any of the ones that stood out to you. Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness gracious. I love these books so much. And I love the author so much that I'm like trembling inside just to do her justice. <laughs> I have so many that I'm afraid that I, if I choose one, that it will take away from the other ones that go unmentioned. I know that's not the case, but that's how it feels inside me. But I love so many that I could have compiled pages and pages of absolutely amazing quotes and scenes. Uh, let me start off with one that is more of a paragraph and probably you would never have thought I'd be so fixated on it. But this passage told me everything I needed to know about this particular character that is being described. So this passage just happens to be the very first paragraph in the book one of the series. <laughs> I know, Anne of Green Gables. So let me uh, read this quickly. Mrs. Rachel Lind lived just where the Avonlea main road dipped down into a little hollow fringed with elders and ladies' eardrops, and traversed by a brook that had its source away back in the woods of the old Cuthbert Place. It was reputed to be an intricate, headlong brook in its earlier course through those woods, with dark secrets of pool and cascade. But by the time it reached Lynn's Hollow, it was a quiet, well-conducted little stream, for not even a brook could run past Mrs. Rachel Lynn's door without due regard for decency and decorum. It probably was conscious that Mrs. Rachel was sitting at her window, keeping a sharp eye on everything that passed. 
from Brooks and children up and that if she noticed anything odd or out of place, she would never rest until she had ferried it out the wise and wherefores thereof. I just love that. I just love the part, funny part about me choosing this passage is that it would never have been a passage I would have appreciated when I was much younger. I notice this passage now as an adult, and I am thoroughly in love with her mastery of setting the scene so beautifully while she's birthing this first character in front of us. And just reading that, you know everything about Mrs. Rachel and pretty much. Mm -hmm. I mean, like nature behaved and obeyed mm -hmm. when they came when it came in contact with Mrs. Rachel Lynn. <laughs> the more that I read the series, the more I have an appreciation for Rachel Lind. And we're going to get to this in a little bit, but I do have more sympathy than I did the first time I was introduced to her. But I, one of my favorite scenes that stood out to me from Anne of Avonlea was the one where they go on a picnic. It's not her birthday. She decides her birthday is in March and it's not enough in spring, even though we live in the South and by March, spring has happened. But she is saying it was still winter during her birthday. And so she is going to make up her own birthday and she gets her friends and they find this garden from this woman. I believe her name is Hester Gray, I think. Mm -hmm. And she is this woman who is has died. Her husband's very romantic, sad, tragic story. But her husband brought her up from Boston and then she had this garden and she loved the garden and he adored his wife. And then she had consumption and she died. So it's very tragic what you would expect of an Anne love story, the ones that she's enamored with. But what stood out to me is just how Anne appreciates the natural world around her and the mm -hmm. beauty around her. So that was We'll get into a little bit more of, I keep saying, beauty in the natural world in a minute. But that was a scene that stood out to me this time. And also just the scenes with Davy and his inability to stay out of mischief mm -hmm. and how he doesn't know that you're not supposed to lie and how Anne is trying to talk to him and explain to him. There's this one scene in particular where he locks his sister into uh, mm -hmm. like a, yes. a cow shed or something. <laughs> and he tells them, to their face, Marilla and Anne, that he did not do this. But they find his sister and he was like, oh, I was just telling a whopper. And he doesn't understand how dire and serious lying is. And it's just the humor that's brought out into it because of how Anne and Marilla are still trying to not laugh when he says certain things. And anyone who has children knows the things they say that make you laugh and you shouldn't be laughing. But also the grace that comes in with the raising of children. I think it's just, at this time of my life, it's just something I needed to, to read. I would like to also share a few quotes that I felt were yeah. so typically Anne for me. And so uh, the first one is in Anna Green Gables, where Anne says, I'm not in the depths of despair this morning. I never can be in the morning. Isn't it a splendid thing that there are mornings? That is so dear, adorable. Mm -hmm. And then another one, Anna Green Gables from that book. Well, that's another hope gone. My life is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. I just love that one too. So classic. I love that one too. <laughs> and then Anne of Avonlea. Having adventures comes natural to some people, said Anne serenely. You just have a gift for them or you haven't. <laughs> and as far as favorite scenes go, those may be all the, the scrapes that she got into. As Anne says herself in Anne of Avonlea, oh dear. I do really begin to believe that I was born under an ill-omened star. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> from the dying of the hair green and getting Diana drunk to the dying of the nose red and all the way through getting stuck in the roof of the duck house, there are plenty of scrapes to laugh or cry over. Poor thing. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's such a dear series. Olga, what are your favorite moments in Anne's life? Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness gracious. Like all of the books, every every moment. <laughs> well, let me think of something that has become dear to me. So my favorite moments are the ones where she finds kindred spirits. Mm-hmm. That's something I can relate to. The ones that understand her. The ones that allow her to be her true self. Mm-hmm. As an orphan child, she was so desperate to belong, but to feel like one belongs, one must also feel understood. I struggle in that area. And that was hard for many people who certainly didn't see life from her poetical perspective. I loved her interactions with Matthew, Paul Irving, Mrs. Lavender. I love her best friend, Diana, for allowing Anne to be free with her imagination. Sometimes too free, perhaps, as was the case with the haunted forest. (laughs) They spoke themselves so bad. As Anne says in Anne of Green Gables, you didn't know just how I felt about it, but you see Matthew did. Matthew understands me, and it's so nice to be understood, Marilla. And I also love those little moments when Anne just enjoys the day, when she stands outside and just takes the world in for 10 minutes before she needs to get on with her day. Her appreciation Mm -hmm. for those little stolen minutes and like how she looks outside and and describes the beauty and like she just takes it in. I feel like I'm right there with her doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's that longing within us, you know, the longing Mm -hmm. to be understood and to appreciate the beauty. It's I think it's so universal. Mm-hmm. And to slow down, Olga. We've been yes, talking about that a lot, yes. just to, from busyness. And mm-hmm. and I love that you brought that out, that she takes those moments throughout her day. Because I am always thinking, well, 10 minutes is not long enough. But she just could go out and just observe the world around her, just walking to school. Mm-hmm. And that was enough for her. I do want to ask you about yes. The Haunted Woods. Did you watch the series? I did not. Okay. I did watch something that one of the recent ones on Netflix, but it doesn't seem so dear mm-hmm. or correct or accurate. No, unfortunately, I have to go back and. Okay, see if so I can you find come. Something. You're going to come over to my house, and okay. you're going to watch these with me. Oh, we're going to find out. That. We're going to find a time to do this because you must be introduced to the Megan Follows because the characters will come alive. The actors are the perfect cast wow. for Anna oh, Green God, Gables. Be so awesome. But when they do the haunted wood scene, I remember as a child watching that and being so scared. Oh my god! And it's just because they're able to do it, make it so eerie. They just did a phenomenal job, even though it's it, it does take some liberties with the storyline. But Olga, you're coming over. I to gotta watch tell that. you something funny, and I might have shared that story with you. I will admit that my sister and I, for example. We can scare each other silly. I connected with Anne and Diana there because yes. out of nothing, they made something. And so even in my 20s, and I may have shared that story <laughs> with you, but my sister and I, we went to Miami vacation there. We stayed at the Westin Hotel and on top of the roof, uh, there's a this pool. And so we went out one time. I know. It was, I think I remember, yes, but I'm not sure. Go it ahead. was at the night. It was nighttime. And we thought, okay, it would be so nice because it was so hot to just go into the pool and just jump in. And we went in and we went to the deep end. But 
I don't know how the conversation started, but my sister and I, we started talking about sharks and we spoke and here we are, our girl, you know, I was like 27. Okay. And she was a uh, 24. Um, we spoke each other so badly, so crazy, silly, really, or silly, crazy, whatever. So we got so scared. We couldn't, we were like on our, in a race trying to get out from the deep end to the shallow part. We just went for it. We were so scared and terrified. We couldn't wait to get out of the pool. I mean, once we got out, we're laughing. We're like, how, what, what happened? You know, we know logically that there could be no shark there. Yes. On top of a roof. Okay. But because it was dark and you don't know what's underneath <laughs> you. I mean, like, I just, I, I thought it was, it was just hilarious. Yes. You can spook yourself at any age. It doesn't yes. matter. You just, you just have to have the right company to do yes. that. And the right imagination. Yes. It's such a, this was such a, that's was such a perfect modern and moment, yes. Olga. And I think that if I was in that situation now as a, a grown woman, a mother, I would not be surprised if I did the same thing. <laughs> Ella Montgomery is a master of showing how our first impressions can be wrong. She is also a master at showing change and growth in the characters of the people she creates specifically for the better by another person. Why do you think it is such a gift to the reader that she does this? Mm -hmm. That's pretty deep, uh, but I do feel I have a decent summary in one sentence. So she shows us that all of humanity can be redeemed if perhaps we are in a specific situation or, or in specific situations that can shape and mold us and change us for the better. And of course, we have to be willing participants in that experience. But as I think her books talk about, in a way, of redemption. I don't know, in some weird, deep way. It's not in your face, but there's the subcurrent, I think, for me. It's like you see throughout the series and throughout the books, these little ways, these interludes, that God is able to use, even though she doesn't necessarily saying that God is doing this, but you can look at it through a Christian worldview and see how God places people in your life specifically in order to bring about healing and redemption in your life. What's funny is that you would automatically just think that it's Anne whose life is redeemed, but it's so many of the people around her, the ones who are giving her Christian charity, you would say, but she is the one who is the gift to them. Like Rachel Lind, she is able to win over Rachel Lind, the most prickly woman in Avonlea. And she is able to befriend this woman. She is able to win over Marilla. And there's a sweet way that you can see how God uses our relationships and how he strengthens us through these beautiful relationships and how he gives Marilla a child who never would have had a child and Anne a mother who had no mother and Matthew a daughter who never would have had a child and their lives are just redeemed in this beautiful way and I appreciate that so much about this series. Whoa. I can't say it enough. Of just... That was so deep, girl. I mean, I was like, whoa, <laughs> I went down the depths. Yeah. That's beautiful. You do see that, Olga, just how mm -hmm. if we take the time to see how the gift that God has given us through other people and wow. how it's so easy to dismiss like a Rachel Lind, like who yes. in the world would want to take time with this woman? She should be. She is told off. But within that correction, then there is relationship. Then there is love built. And then God is able to do work in their lives. And I just, now as 
a much older woman, I see that. This is a heart series. It's a kindred spirit. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, also what I find just reminding me when I was younger, I would always connect with teachers or professors that nobody else liked. They found them to be too too hard. Too strict. Too, mm -hmm. Way too strict, expecting too much, et cetera. But I don't know, especially if they weren't liked, I just tended to really connect with them. And we would become really good friends. Like, I just, mm -hmm. I, there was a fascination inside me to find out, like, why, why weren't they liked? But also to discover why I could possibly like them. Mm -hmm. And I think somehow we were always able to bring out the best. And just, we had mutual respect. I mm -hmm. think that's what it was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would the same for me, Olga. I was just about to say respect. There's a lot to be said for that. All right, Olga, who besides Anne is your favorite character in the books we read? And which character pleasantly surprised you by their growth and essentially repentance after meeting Anne? Well, I love Marilla and Matthew. And let me just say, I think I'm, this time around, I can love them even more because I'm grown up. Right. So I love Marilla and Matthew. They're good, solid, conservative folk. And Marilla keeps evolving as a woman and a mother. And I love I simply love her quips of solid practicality. I don't have any handy right now, but I should have because she would say these little, little quips and like, wow, that's a lesson for life. You know, she just grounds you and you need that, especially if you're a dreamer. And I <laughs> kind of have been. I'm a ground of myself now that I'm a bit older. Yeah. But Anne needs a little bit of that as well. Um, of course, I also love Rachel Lind, who certainly did repent and change her mind about Anne as time went on. She's very capable, and I admire that strongly. She knows her mind and everyone else's as well. <laughs> That's so true. But now, see, I'm older, and I can appreciate that. I can, you know, before, I, my focus was on Anne. Mm -hmm. And she's just such a character. And you can see the inner child of yourself in her. Mm -hmm. But now, as I'm older, I can also appreciate the grown-ups around her. Same for me, Olga. That was my experience after reading it as an adult. You just have this appreciation for all the characters mm -hmm. in it. It is such a deep and rich series. It's, yes. Yeah. I feel like the more you read it, you, mm -hmm. something else you glean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just kind of keeps evolving. Mm-hmm. It's yes. amazing. It's like a live yeah. book. It like is. a live series. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's almost like um, if you're evolving in some ways and you have evolved, then you can see something else. Then you evolve mm -hmm. a bit more. Then you can see some something else. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And it's what makes a good classic because it's yes. not age. It doesn't age out. Yes. It is able to speak to all generations. And it just breaks my heart for those who would dismiss it as a children's book and not, yes. Yes. not take the time to reread this series and, and see the wisdom mm -hmm. that is in it. When you were saying that about Marilla, how she grounds Anne, mm -hmm. if you're a dreamer, you need someone <laughs> to ground you. That's my dear husband. Yeah. <laughs> he, is here, he is here to keep yeah. this Anne grounded. <laughs> okay, each time I read Anne of Green Gables, I find myself focusing on a different aspect of the book. The last time I ran, read Anne of Green Gables, it was Marilla's arc that I was captivated mm -hmm. by. My little girl, we had just brought my little girl home. And so I was a mother for the first time. And, and it was really Marilla's growth as a character and the way that motherhood changed her that stood out to me. And there's something different that I saw this time, but I'll share that in a minute in some of the other questions. Before that, though, I'm curious what stood out to you on this reading? Mm -hmm. Like I said earlier, 
I think this time I was way more appreciative of the older ladies, Marilla and Rachel Lind. I could admire their strengths and their solid place in the world. Uh, they knew what was what, and there was no gray area. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, I was mostly enthralled by Anne, her whimsy, and her sense of adventure. This time, I could also admire another type of beauty, which we don't often think about, a beauty of comfort, stability, mm-hmm. practicality, reliability, mm-hmm. which were demonstrated by Marilla and Rachel in their sense of duty. There's beauty to it, mm-hmm. a sense of nobility as well. See, we're just so, it's so easy to be in love with this beauty that is so in your face and just so charming and bright. But there's this other beauty, which I felt these other ladies, you know, showcase. And it's kind of almost like old fashioned type of beauty mm-hmm. that just right now, this world is so much in chaos that you kind of want someone to know what's what mm-hmm. and what where, where things go, you know, mm-hmm. that they show these. Yes, there is a sense of duty. I feel in this world, people have forgotten what's duty. You know, mm-hmm. it's duty was like this, this concept, like people just look down upon it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you just do your duty, even though your heart isn't in it. But now people don't even do their duty, no matter what heart in it or not, you know. Mm-hmm. So that sense of duty has to be brought back, I think. Then we can start worrying if the heart is in it or not, mm-hmm. you know. But that foundation of those characteristics that they embody not many people have nowadays. So I think as a young child, I definitely would not have noticed that. I'd be like, oh, <laughs> these are like the enemies of Anne, you know, yeah. they're trying to quench uh, her spirit, yes. you know, why don't they let her fly? But they actually let her fly because mm-hmm. they're there to be stable. Mm-hmm. She knows she has this stable ground. It's not going to crumble underneath her feet because mm-hmm. of these ladies who are reliable, stable, practical, mm-hmm. right? I love how she brings out that duty is not a bad word. Yeah. <laughs> and I like how you said that there was a nobility to Rachel Lind and Marilla to their work that they did. There is a great dignity to what they're doing and how they are able to mother Anne, essentially. For me, this time there were two. You've mentioned kind of a little bit of home and you kind of mentioned both of them. So one was the importance of home and the other was an appreciation of beauty in the natural world. I thought we would start with the importance of home first. Place is so important in the first two books in the series and we see it in Maud's own life too. Through all the upheaval in her childhood and young adult life, Maud longed to be back at her grandparents' home in Cavendish. If you read the biography that we have read, you will see this and it's heartbreaking. How do we see this longing for home portrayed in the first couple of novels, Olga, and this elevation of place and the importance of home? Well, let's take the obvious. In her books, she wrote about her home. Mm -hmm. She wrote about her surroundings, Mm -hmm. like literally the places she described. You can go now and see. Mm -hmm. Not all, but a Mm -hmm. lot of them. So they were so important to her. She put them in her books. She loved them. She loved them so much. She took the time to describe them and to share them, those places with the world. Mm -hmm. And so here she is writing these books that are so idyllic, that bring her joy and bring her respite from from her own hardships. And so her ideal world has these places, you know? So... Her reality, the places she's living in at that moment when she is writing, they inspire her to create this even greater reality, but not apart from those places, but within those places. Mm-hmm. 
So the first signs of longing as well, uh, you could see like in the books, is her careful and thorough, loving, lovingly created setting descriptions. Mm-hmm. She'll create a perfect, lovely setting because it was so important for her. She would spend paragraphs, paragraphs describing the places in the book so we could understand and feel them. So they wouldn't just be like a quick little, oh, there. She wants us to feel that place that she loves so much. I love how you brought that out because you're talking about her sharing it and what a gift that it is for us. You grew up in Ukraine in Massachusetts. I grew up in the South mostly, but we both have experienced the beauty of Prince Edward Island Mm -hmm. because Ellen Montgomery shared it with us through her series. And I love that you brought that out because it's so true. We would never know about this beauty of her world and she is loving of the reader enough that she is sharing a place that means so much to her and she loves. She put that place on the map. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, Mm -hmm. who would have known of that place? Mm -mm. And now millions of people know about that place. Mm -hmm. And want to go there. That's my dream is to go there. She brought it. She did it so well. Mm -hmm. She brought it to us in such a beautiful way. And this platter was just like, oh, I want to gobble it up. Mm -hmm. And through all of the turmoil in her Mm -hmm. childhood, she still had this appreciation and this love for home. She just had this desire and this longing for it. And in the midst of all of that homesickness, she gave it to us. And I'm so thankful that she did. I also love how you mentioned duty earlier, mm-hmm. how she shows so much throughout their series of how making a home, bringing order and beauty to the home. Yes. And I am not a housekeeper. I'm working on that as far as wanting my home to be a place of hospitality and refuge for when people come in. And I loved this time of just seeing there's this order and this beauty that's brought in. I had written a couple of notes down of just how Marilla and Matthew give Anna home, how Marilla continues to give a home to people when mm-hmm. she was so shut up in her home, where it was just her and Matthew. And she was, of course, neighborly, but she was not going to have people come and live in her home. And she gives Anna home. She gives Davy and Dora a home. She gives Rachel Linda home. These characters all needed a home. And Marilla is in need of a family, of extending her home to others, how God has given us essentially a command to practice hospitality. Mm -hmm. So she is extending her home to others and it's never easy, but there's such a beautiful reward for it. As I, I keep saying this, but I believe that Ellen Montgomery was practicing hospitality through writing this series by bringing us in to Prince Edward Island. Wow. I just also want to mention, I loved how Anne would love to decorate wherever she was. She'd bring flowers in. She'd yes. bring the outside, inside. It was so important for her to have that comfort and that beauty around her. Her bedroom at first was so sparse, but then later on you have descriptions of how she made it more homely and more comfortable and more cozy. And she'd bring in like the cherry blossoms and and like even other people's places when she's decorating, she'll put, put like flowers, not even a vase, like some cups or whatever. Right. I forget, but like, the beauty was so important mm-hmm. that she always found even the simplest ways to bring it in. It doesn't have to be in an ostentatious way. You could mm-hmm. have a cracked mug and just put a few flowers mm-hmm. in and put them on the table. It already elevates your feeling when you're looking at it, you know, and just being inside the house kind of inspires you 
to notice simplest things and notice beauty and maybe go outside for a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. So you mentioned the cracked cup. That is a way to show us also how even in the broken places, I mean, we may not, it's just maybe a subconscious thing, but even in the broken things, beauty can come of that. So I I love that. So going along, I'm going to piggyback off of you talking about beauty. Let's turn now to the importance of beauty in the natural world in Ellen Montgomery's works. She had such appreciation for the beauty of creation and such keen observation of the natural world, and she uses it to dazzling effect in her stories. I've noticed lately that this is a rare quality found in some of only the best books. I am starting to come up with this theory that there is this appreciation for the natural world that is brought into these beautiful classics of children's literature and a lot of classics as well. There is an appreciation of the beauty of God's creation in so many ways. It is a gift given to us, the reader. Let's discuss Anne's ability to notice the beauty of creation around her. You've mentioned some of the things when so many others around her dismiss it and how her doing this is like an act of praise and worship to God. And just to illustrate this, one of my favorite quotes in Anne of Avonlea is from chapter seven, and it's Anne and Gilbert are conversing. And this is kind of what brought up this whole idea for this question. Anne says to Gilbert, I'd like to add some beauty to life, said Anne dreamily. I don't exactly want to make people know more, though I know that is the noblest ambition, but I'd love to make them have a pleasanter time because of me, to have some little joy or happy thought that would never have existed if I hadn't been born. And with that, there was a line in Ellen Montgomery's biography, and it's a line quote from her that just has haunted me. And because she had so much turmoil in her life, She says, thank God I can keep the shadows of my life out of my work. I would not wish to darken any other life. I want instead to be a messenger of optimism and sunshine. So, Olga, how do we see this ability of Anne to notice beauty in creation? And also, how do we see this choice in Ellen Montgomery's writing altogether of how this is a gift to her readers and what value can we draw as fellow creators from her choice to share this with readers? Again, very, very deep. Okay, so there's already so much despair and hardship in the world. And most of us deal with some sort of sorrow throughout our lives that having chosen to focus on the beauty of life and not the harsh realities, she gave us a form of escape that not only transplanted us into another setting, but also taught us to appreciate that every day and to look at our surroundings with fresh eyes. I love how you said that the ability to notice the beauty of creation is as an act of praise. Uh, That is very, very, like something I have to really ponder that is just elevating the whole concept of appreciation. It's not just for my selfish reasons that Mm -hmm. I enjoy it. Yes. Mm -hmm. But now I will be looking at it like, oh, I can enjoy it, but also by enjoying it, I'm praising God. Mm -hmm. I think that as fellow creators, we should focus on enriching the lives of our readers to inspire them, to bring back more noble aspirations, perhaps, instead of deepening their already dank trenches. Truth should have a place, but so does hope as well. There's something else I would love to point out. Lucy Maud Montgomery's magic was that she spoke to the inner child of her readers, She writes in the language of eternal optimism that is so often a characteristic of the youth. Um, And of Avonlea, Marilla is speaking regarding Mr. Irving and Miss Lavender, okay? And she's saying this. Now, where's the romance in all that? 
Oh, there isn't any when you put it that way, gasped Anne, rather as if somebody had thrown cold water over her. I suppose that's how it looks in prose. But it's very different if you look at it through poetry. And I think it's nicer. Isn't that something? I love that. <laughs> I love that. Wow. Maud was also a master of finding beauty in the everyday and the ability to notice the least of human attributes or experiences, which when coupled together in her writing, invited us to enter into the world of the characters and to really get to know them. She was able to bring the characters alive so masterfully that we still often think of them akin to family members. For example, here's a small passage that depicts this beautifully. That's in Anne of Avonlea. I do think it is such a pity Anne is leaving when the children seem so much attached to her, sighed Mrs. Peter Sloan, who had a habit of sighing over everything and even finished off her jokes that way. <laughs> her inclusion of specific details gives us that illusion that we know this lady and who this lady is just from this simple detail about her sighing. And this was a very small glimpse into a very minor character in the book. She truly brings the main characters to life in such a way that we know exactly what they would do in any situation. I have a theory that authors write from either lack or abundance of something. And I've come to the conclusion that Lucy Maud Montgomery wrote from tremendous lack in her life. She creates happiness and adventure and romance in her books that she was perhaps so sorely lacking in her own life. The one sure thing is that Maud definitely, definitely had an abundance of imagination, which we now keep enjoying many, many years after her death. Her books not only keep her characters alive, but also her very own self. As we read her books, we cannot help but wonder who the author was. What was her life like? What were her joys and sorrows? If the reader wants answers, the biography, House of Dreams, The Life of Ellen Montgomery by Liz Rosenberg, will be a fantastic start. Mm-hmm. I know I we haven't had a chance to really dive into the biography yet, but it's heartbreaking. And yet it is so amazing to see how, in spite of all this heartbreak in her life, to go back to that quote that she chose to bring beauty and grace and joy to the lives of others, where she could have bemoaned her fate mm-hmm. and brought bleakness and sadness. You are aware of, of the hardship that she went through, and you are aware of that with Anne. I don't believe that she sugarcoats mm-hmm. the struggle and the suffering that Anne goes through, and yet she is feet firmly planted in writing yeah. joy into the world yeah. and beauty. Yeah, and I think what well, solidifies and doesn't make this whole quest for beauty, quote unquote, trite. Right. Is that there's this huge message of hope. Mm-hmm. So she finds hope in beauty. Mm-hmm. And she is able to go on, even though things are hard, because she's just so saturated with hope that things will turn around, mm-hmm. that things will be better. And how can, I, how can they not be? Look at how beautiful the world is. Mm-hmm. It can't always be miserly. You know, mm-hmm. one day we too will have a party on our street. Mm-hmm. That's what my mom always used to say. <laughs> yes, things were hard, but yeah, one day, watch it, watch it. One oh, day, we'll have, we that. do we'll have a party on our I street. I love that. <laughs> That's so much better than what my, my uh, some family members. <laughs> don't don't said, name them. <laughs> I won't name them. They would say, life's hard and then you die. So I Whoa. love that. <laughs> I 
love that quote that your mother said so much better. And, yes. and like you were saying with the beauty, it's not a trite thing. It is very much, I feel like it. And then I'm looking at this from a Christian worldview as this is a praise in the beauty that God has created in this world. And in spite of suffering, in spite of deep trials, there is always that glimmer of hope that redemption is coming. Yeah. Oh, that is so beautiful. And you know what else I'm thinking? You know, let's not uh, minimize the fact that God loves beauty. Mm -hmm. You know, he created all this beauty because he loves it. He Mm -hmm. enjoys it. He Mm -hmm. wants us to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And there's no vanity in that. And like people used to think, oh, it's just so vain or your waste of time or like there's so so many other things, you know, that you need to focus on other attributes of God, you know, Mm -hmm. like the strictness and the firmness. Mm-hmm. But how about that the part of God that loved beauty and loves beauty and is eager to connect with us mm-hmm. in that arena? Mm-hmm. I think that area hasn't been very much explored by Christians, I would say. Mm-hmm. And Olga, that it's this came to me, I think it was this past winter, that it's in abundance when God gives. And when you look at spring and the beauty of the world he's created, and there's a couple of times in in Anne of Avonlea that I'm thinking of specifically when they go to that garden, there are narcissus flowers that are just growing in absolute abundance. And then there, there are cherry blossoms that Anne puts in her hair, and it's an abundance. It's not a small amount. Mm-hmm. It is full, and it's not, um, it's not measly. There's yeah. no lack. And I just think of that, of just how he pours that out abundantly to us. Wow. Well, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this or not, but with your permission, yes. if you want yes. to. Yes, I, I will say I noticed. <laughs> I noticed what she's about to say. I noticed that it was over here. So I was hoping that she was going to do this. So Okay. So I would love to read a poem that I, I co-created, I would say, divinely inspired because definitely I've just allowed the Holy Spirit to help me write it and the Holy Spirit did his job. I just was in a zone and we did it. But I would like to, at this moment, to dedicate it to Lucy Maud Montgomery and mm-hmm. Anne and mostly Lucy Maud Montgomery because mm-hmm. I feel so much for her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and when we, I say Anne, that was parts of her and Anne. That mm-hmm. was her. There's a lot of experiences that mm-hmm. Anne went through that Maud went through. And so she kind of shared her inner child with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll share this poem and I hope you all enjoy it. Mm -hmm. It is called Paradise Found. As I listened to their spoken word, I felt sad. Trite misery permeated their bones. They had no beauty in their hearts. They They spoke darkness and dampness, nothing fresh, only trite loneliness, the fashion of the times. They imagined themselves grand and perceptive, yet they had no insight into the human condition, the longing for beauty in our world. They made beauty of the soul trite, robbed humankind of kindness as they pursued earthly delights that only left them empty. They say beauty and kindness is trite, left behind on the shelf, as we peruse the pages of deception, alone in our misery, because that is fashionable. They romanticize darkness and pain, lock away their hearts in dungeons, damn, overrated dungeons, choosing to stay there rather than embrace beauty. Humans are beautiful. Kindness is beautiful. Love is beautiful. Birds are beautiful. We are scared to let ourselves fly, because we are told it is trendy to stay on the ground with others in misery. I choose to fly 
to bring back the antiquated quest for honor and nobility, the yearning to make this world a better place through a whisper, not a shout that only desires to force the other to be just like me. I don't need you to be just like me. I need you to be just like you, a creation of perfection and design that is necessary to make this world just a little bit better. And with everyone doing that one little tiny bit of better, we'll make the whole world a paradise. Olga, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing it. I'm so glad that you brought that to share. Olga shared it with me a couple of weeks ago, I yes. think. And it's just perfect. I was wonderfully surprised that she brought it today because it fits right in to everything that we've been talking about. Yes. And it's just absolutely lovely and so true. And it just sums up everything that we've said in such beautiful words, Olga. So thank you so much for sharing that. Olga's been sharing her poetry with me lately, and I have loved it. And it's it's been such a gift to me. And, and I know that it will be a gift to you and that it will bless many others' lives. Olga, do you have anything to share? Anything else with about Ellen Montgomery? Oh, goodness. Right. <laughs> I just love her. I and know. I wish I knew her. And I wish I could have been there and hugged her. And I know. Just, just been there. I didn't know, have to okay. say much, just, just to be there. Because right. sometimes she just needed someone to be there. Right. And just to understand without mm -hmm. saying much. She needed that kindred spirit and that person just to sit over tea and just let her pour her heart out. Yes. And one day, Olga, I was thinking of this as you were reading this. And even before that, of we will visit Prince Edward Island. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted yes. to go. And we can put flowers on Ellen Montgomery's oh. grave. Olga, this has been such a delight. I know that we had quite a morning between, I think, the both of us. But mm -hmm. this has been a refreshment to my soul. And it always is when I see Olga. She lives so close to me. We get to get together quite often. And when we don't, I'm always sad. Olga is just such a gift in my life, a dear kindred spirit. So mm. Olga, thank you so much thank you. for being here today. Uh, thank you for being my kindred spirit. <laughs> <laughs> which we met very randomly. I don't know if we've ever shared with anyone, but we met, met very randomly on the playground. Our children are good friends and we, we, they were about two at the time. Mm -hmm. yes. And we just, I came up and, and started talking to her and, and we just formed this wonderful friendship. And so it, like I said, kindred spirit, just a gift. So thank you, Olga. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. So if you have a book suggestion, if you just want to have a little bookish conversation, you can email me at bethatawellreadlife.com. I also have a website that's still in the works. You can also find me there. It's awellreadlife.com. And I'm also on Instagram at wellreadbeth. Enjoy your week. Until next time.